Knockback, the retro and nostalgia podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Knockback. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by Dagan. He's behind on rent, Moriarty. Dagan, thank you for joining me today. How are you? The scruffy-looking nerf herder himself. Yes. Both of those. Actually, your beard looks kind of well coiffed. Really. Mine is just like going a little nuts. No, I. Oh my god. I mean, my, I'm looking a little, little rambunctious. Let's say <laughs> about the face. Yours just grows nice and evenly. Mine's so patchy that it takes a while to look like it's intentional. Well, you got to go through. I mean, you got, yeah, I have the same problem. Like you have to just. That's why I don't cut it all the way off. I haven't had nothing on my face since 2014. I want to say. Wow, it's a long time. Uh, but I've shaved it down probably about as short as you have it now. I mean, people can see the growth and the. I basically just, as people know, just shave like everything off at once usually because I can't do it. This is a, an Italian sphere of. Yes. Nothing. You can't do because people are always like, well, dude, I have never met a person who has just listened to me about my hair. Like I wouldn't know like how my hair works. Right. <laughs> like every person insists they that there's something else. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. no, you don't understand. All I can do to my hair is shave it off, grow it back in and shave it off and grow it back in. That's I have it. I have we have a we have very Italian, Sicilian, African hair, you know, it's like, coarse. It's, yeah. Uh, what else do you say about it? It's, it's thick. coarse. Yeah, it's coarse. It's thick. well, it's coarse and it's thick and thick. It, it's it grows back quickly, I think, too. Like my hair grows in really that. quickly. Mine does. It's like and, a chia uh, pet up there. Yeah, it, it is. And I would say that your hair, I think, is even finer than like in quotes than mine. I think that like you can do more actually with yours. You, than, you, you than think yours is with, more tightly. Wo- it's ridiculous. I mean, I, I and so every time I've like, you know, been with a woman or like a fr- they're like, yo, why don't you do that? I'm like, shut the fuck up. Style your I'm hair. I'm trying to tell you, <laughs> you know, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's why when um in the 90s, when 311, a couple of them were bleaching their hair before Eminem. I was like, oh, this is great. And that's when I started doing that, too. But then I had to stop doing that because because they could shave their head down, and just bleach it because then Eminem was doing it. And I'm like, I don't want I like Eminem, but yeah. I don't want people to think that I'm you know, trying to be Eminem. I'm trying to be Chad Sexton, clearly. Uh, <laughs> no, Eminem ran away with that because yeah. that existed for years. I did that yeah, used to do high school. I used, used to bleach to my hair every month, Yeah, you know, with that BW2 stuff like the Clairol, like it was like a, a powder packet. And then you would mix it with water, become like a pudding consistency. And then even somebody with my hair, which was like very dark chestnut brown, ble- bleached the hell out of it. So bad for your hair, dude. But I did that for years. Yeah. But Eminem sort of claimed that. And yeah, it's a good point. I, I was always a little bit sore over that because I feel like that existed a long time before you, M. Marshall Mathers. Marshall Mathers. Also, you may or may not have gotten a little bit on the cat. Maybe. Of that. It died. just happened to land in a smiley yeah. face yeah. <laughs> pattern on her haunches. It's an accident, Dad. Yeah, she had like she, yeah on her haunches. Yeah, she she was marked like a tank or something like that, or an airplane, <laughs> like a military jet. You I know? gotta put the hash marks on her. Yeah, it's like it's like putting a GI Joe vehicle together. And you put little stickers ah. on it. All right. Speaking of roommates, uh, yeah, so. Nothing else. Ha- what, what, what's happening in your life? Let's, let's get loose here. Let's... You know what I've been thinking about? Yeah. This may surprise you. Hmm. And hearkening back again to our fan event live podcast thing that we did out in Butler, PA, 
you just made it you guys just put it up for the patrons actually yesterday i think but i'll tell you what domino effect that started being out there with you guys hanging out thinking about cigars a lot like i want to sit out back Mm. the fire pit in the evening with a cigar i'm gonna go buy some i think this weekend you should i got a little bit of a a little bit of a crash course very quick crash course from dustin and ben about flavors and all that kind of stuff so i know a little bit more than i used to know so i could go in and just grab a couple of cigars i like the sweet profile you know maybe a little cigar i don't want to smoke a huge stogie yeah i like i like this i like i don't want a cigarillo i mean those are great too but i like those are good whatever the mid-size one is or a stove that's like really short i can do that too you know yeah short one is good you know just enough just to get that flavor a little relaxation and yeah i agree you know i used to be a smoker i used to smoke ciggies and so bad for you you know i feel like cigars you don't have to worry about that because you're really mostly you're not inhaling it you're just enjoying the taste the flavor so i'm gonna i think i'm gonna start investing i think i'm gonna hit the stogie every couple of weekends just go sit out back (laughs) I just can't wait for people to write in and be like, you can still get cancer from smoking cigars. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. That's what I was saying. But I, but I, uh, I'm with you. Like I actually went through a phase a couple times in California too, because I had a cool backyard in San Francisco. I don't think you ever came out there and saw us, but I had a cool backyard and like face the beach. We were, we were 30 blocks from the beach or 25 blocks from the beach, but, um, which, and the blocks in San Francisco were tiny. Okay. But, uh, you know, we ha- but you had that constant fog. I, I say because fog was just constantly rolling in. It was dope. It was just really cool being back there. And, um, yeah, I, I went through a few phases where there was a cigar shop down the street for me and I would just go smoke them. But I always found that and I was interested to see this when we were at Ben's bar because it, it's a cigar bar and it's awesome. I love smoking inside, as everyone knows. It's like my favorite thing in the world. And uh, <laughs> I, if I get like a cigar, the wrong cigar, and I and I chug on it too much, like I actually have to like I'm out for the night. Like I'm gone. Oh, it's, really? I, I get like. I get like nauseous almost and I don't ever throw up. But I'm like, I got to lay down. And I, that's what always trended me as I got older to go towards like we were saying, like cigarillo type things, but also just lighter c- cigars. And that's Makes what I was sense. talking to Ben about, like the, the the way I learned about it. And I'm sure it is not the scientific way. was just as a store I used to go to in San Francisco. used to profile them one through five and one were like the light ones and five were the dark ones. OK. And then, and then okay. it was like a gradient. And uh, so I just always bought ones. To be to be safe and so there he happened to have got guided me towards the proper cigar that kept me in the game and Did i actually smoked i think two which was like i don't think i ever did that you know like in a yeah night. they were nice they were light i think we might yeah, have been was, smoking the same ones i was dr- i was drunk i mean i was drinking old fashions old fashions and siggies man cigars I, I should say i was thinking like if i lived in this that I, first of all i gotta say i, I love that town but just want to say that again really that cool town yeah. super cool and uh they invented yeah. the Jeep there, apparently. There were yeah, Jeeps yeah. everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as part of the decor. So finally I went into the bagel place, I think, and I asked the lady, I was like, what is the deal with the Jeep thing? And she's like, this is where the Jeep was invented. Apparently, whoever made the Jeep later on, is that, I don't even know if that's is it GM? Whoever that is. Or Chrysler. Chrysler. Right? That's who it was. Yeah. I knew it was some sort of Mopar thing they kind of ran away with it but apparently the jeep was was made right in that town very and it feels like a steel old steel mill world war ii it still has that feel with the architecture and obviously it's a lot newer and more contemporary and hip now but yeah very cool east coast town i think it has that sort of profile of a typical 
older East Coast town that's a little more, you know, trending towards the the young kids now, maybe getting a little bit, I want to say gentrified, but you know what I mean? Like staying relevant, but still has that old school charm to it. Yeah, definitely. You know, which is neat. Yeah, we had fun there. And like you said, the live show's up now on Patreon. We'll put that up for everyone though on YouTube at some point so you guys can see it. Really happy with that. I think we had to make some like, you know, I felt bad because Mike was saying like, oh, because she had a funny part towards the end and, and it wasn't in the video. And I'm like, and she's like, oh, you guys cut me out or whatever. Oh. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, no, I felt I, I don't know. why no one told her, although I wasn't in on the edit. But I'm like, we had a lot of um, not a lot, but some technical issues, like some of the audio was bad. OK, you know, some okay. things didn't have angles on them. Like we didn't have a crowd shot, for instance. So there is no context for for like some of the things that were going on in the crowd and all that. Inter- so, OK, yeah, we actually right. learned a lot, quite a bit about the things we need to know next time, but we'll see you in 2022. And I'm real bullish about a couple of these things that I want to do actually in 2022, two particular places I want to play, but nice. We'll leave that for later. Otherwise nothing's really happening in my life. I think I was going to ask, no dad's coming soon. So we're just preparing for that. And I heard uh, the big Jair's coming through, swinging through the South. Yeah. He's coming through to prepare coming through for a, yes. It's like storm and Norman Schwarzkopf. He's like coming down here for (laughs) like 36 hours and then he just bounces. He but really is. He's all business. He really is. Yeah, it's great. It's great because I'm the same way. I mean, he and I are totally simpatico. You don't overstay your welcome. It's like what Benjamin Franklin said about what did he say about guests fish and guests stink after three days or something like that. <laughs> I never so, heard that, but that's yeah, pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, um, it makes it, sense. That's, it's a good that's policy, in, I guess. Yeah, that's in Poor Richard's Almanac, I believe. I want to say, but don't quote me on that. You Very nice. Quoting Benjamin Franklin on that. All right. <laughs> let's get into the topic today as people know it's all, right. all about our roommates and i like these kinds of uh, episodes as i know a lot of the audience does the kind of episodes that allow us to get out of covering a video game or a movie or a tv show we like doing all that we'll continue to do that mostly but uh yeah you put this on the list as you're choosing the topics this run of topics and there's much to talk about here so I'll throw it over to you. I'll say that in just thinking about it i have very few notes because i want to be in the moment and thinking about these people okay I, all I did was write down six phases uh, for me. There are six, Perfect. six groups of roommates, basically, and um, that I've that I've had. OK, and, uh, but I want to kick it over to you. I, I'm curious what you. Well, let me let me back up and ask this. Okay. How did you feel at the time about living with people and how do you feel about the prospect now? Okay. Because I asked that because. <laughs> And I'm not saying putting yourself now in that position, but rather how you felt about being in those positions back then. Because in the moment, there were times where I hated having roommates. I hated it specifically my freshman year in college. And we'll get into that. But there were times where I was like, this is awesome. And I couldn't imagine living any other way. And when you live in a city, an expensive city, as you know, and you're in your 20s or whatever, it's almost hard to see beyond the horizon and say like, oh, it won't necessarily always be like this. In fact, I always think of this guy I worked with at IGN, Spence, who I was good friends with. He was the music editor there. He actually got really mad. So I don't think I've ever told this story, but he he got laid off at IGN. It was really sad. This was probably in like 2008 or 2009. Okay. And I was a kid. Like, I didn't know what I was supposed to do. That was my first layoff. And uh, so I gave him like a few days and I didn't talk to him. I'm like, well, I'm not going to, you know, he doesn't want to hear from me or whatever. And then when I got right. in touch with him, or I saw him like the next week, he lived with my friend. He was like really mad that I didn't touch, get in touch with him. And he hated me after that. Oh, wow. And I was like, what the fuck? We were like really good friends. But he was an older guy that had roommates, too. And the reason I knew him very well is because he lived with my friend Nate. And there must have been 20 or 25 years between those guys. So there were definitely people that I knew that had roommates that were older. But I was never able to see past the horizon of not 
two things, never having to live with a roommate because that's a thing of necessity and wanting to live with roommates because there were people I lived with where I'm like, I could ne- I could imagine always doing this and okay. it doesn't bother me at all. But now as a, as a 36 year old living on my own in my own house for the first time, as opposed to living in an apartment and I've long not had a roommate. I have lived with my girlfriends, I guess, but I'm like, holy shit, what the fuck was I doing? And, <laughs> and whoa like what was i it's a totally different life so it's really interesting and i'm i I, so i like this topic from many different angles but anyway i want to kick it over to you okay take it however you'd like you can answer those things or you know talk about your experience with roommates and then you know if you i don't know how you batch them but if you want to begin talking about some of your roommates well you know what's kind of cool i think i have about six kind of bullet points too for various roommates or groups of roommates so that kind of works out cool and i can't wait to hear what you have to say because i don't know that we've talked that much about these things. I imagine you're going to have stories I, I don't know about, and I'm going to have stories you've never heard. And to me, it was a fun sort of storytelling, nostalgic topic that I've had in the list for a while because it's such a big part of growing up. And it was such a big part of my experiences of going from a kid to an adult. You know, like, like a lot of us, we're not really thrust into the roommate situation until college or those college years, late in your teens, early in your 20s. So I had never experienced it before I moved to Philly to go to art school. And I think prior to that, like growing up, of course, you know what a roommate is, right? You have older aunts and uncles or maybe cousins or older siblings that are going through that or just knowing it from entertainment, you know, TV shows and movies and stuff. I think of like things like bosom buddies, right? Like Mm. that was like the ultimate roommate thing that might've even introduced me to roommates, but even things like Bert and Ernie, you know, like for me, it was a little, for me, it was full house too, which was, Oh, full house is another big one. Like family being thrust together that normally wouldn't be there because the mom's death and all that kind of stuff. There's probably a lot of those if we think about it. Right. But I even think back to like Bert and Ernie as a very early memory because you Mm. know, automatically, even though they're these colorful puppets, that they're not brothers. Obviously, they look a lot different and they're not kids. They're obviously kind of adults for whatever reason and the different personalities. And now it's a funny thing. And I remember being kind of drawn to it, like even fantasizing maybe later in my preteens or early in my teens, like, oh, it's going to be amazing. Like, I'm going to move out, get under, get out from under mom and dad's thumb. You think about your friends like, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to live with John or Tommy or even friends you make later in life like PJ. But the roommate experience was so different and I for me, but ironically, I did live with friends that I grew up with on Long Island, you know, in, in a roommate situation, which was interesting. And I'll kick it off there. I mean, for me, the first thing or how I have to set the table a little bit, I think, is when I was, I took about a year, a year and a half off between high school and college. And when I finally moved, it was already kind of a strange situation that I always laugh about thinking back because we grew up in New York, but unlike so many people that go to art school, right? I left New York to go to art school, so, which was always a strange thing to me. Not that there's not good art schools all over the country and all over the world, obviously, But there's so many arts, you know, then and now New York is thick with art schools, with art colleges. Right. And so it was kind of a strange look for me to like leave to go to Philly to go to art school. But I had followed one of my good friends growing up, Brian and Chris, actually, 
who those were two guys that I met from Long Island, different school districts. They live in different places, but we met through skateboarding when we were like 12, 13 years old. So newer friends, not certainly not the friends that I had the pedigree with or the heritage that I would have with like a John or a Tommy growing up, but guys I met later in life through skating. And Brian was a year younger than me in school, which I had remembered. Chris was a year older than me, I think. So I was right in the middle. Brian was class of 93, like our sister, Dana. And he went to Rocky Point and he left, he graduated from high school and then left for art school. And he was going to a school in Philly called the Art Institute of Philadelphia. He was going for graphic design. And I would go see Brian for that year that I was still home and he was in Philly. I would take a car ride with one of his older brothers when they visited and I would go see Brian. And I got introduced to Philly. I got introduced to you know the art school, just the town a little bit skating there certainly was like a big thing in the mid 90s with Love Park and everything, the advent of like really skateboarding blowing up on the East Coast. And I was like, this is where I'm going to go. And the really alluring bit was that I could jump this particular school, very trade school-like in its structure, associate's degree. It's a two, it was a two-year program at the time. And I could go in and sort of get processed. I wanted to be an animator. I could, unlike the art schools in New York, if I was looking at SVA or Pratt or Purchase or Parsons or one of the other art schools in New York, big art schools, you had to go through a sort of, you know, elective process, background foundation. You had to you had to do all this stuff over again. You had to repeat some of the stuff from high school. And then there was going to be like two years of foundation before you kicked into your major because obviously those were four-year programs. So I thought, all right, I could go straight into animation. Sick. So I was all in. So I so Brian being there, and then in between Brian going there, my friend Chris started for animation. So that got the hooks in even further where I would go to visit those guys. Now, Chris was an animation. Chris was extremely talented. I already looked up to him a lot. He was really was still one of the best artists I've ever known. So those two guys were the guys who led me to Philly. And I just thought maybe it was a little bit of an easy way out, but I just thought I'm going to go do what they do. Philly looks cool. Skateboarding was a big part of it. And of course, the animation program being, you know, being able to jump right into that full-fledged and so I followed those guys to school and they became my earliest roommates. But here's the thing. There was already a little bit of tension because, and it was already, it was kind of bad planning on my part. There was nothing with me and Brian in particular, but Chris started dating a girl that I had been dating on Long Island, this girl, Jen, who I had broken up with some time, some point in the interim and Chris had started dating her. She was still on Long Island, but Chris was in art school. And for some reason, there was just some tension between me and Chris over this girl, Jen. Now I had broken up with her. So it wasn't this thing of like, she cheated with Chris and left me or something like that. But there was just something going on, some sort of competitive thing between me and Chris that got more serious. Actually, when I came to Philly, I was already dating a girl. Jen would come around. There was tension between my then girlfriend and Jen when they were in the apartment together. And the interesting thing was, it wasn't a typical dorm situation because as you know, Kyle, early on in the mid-90s, the art institutes were dorming in like already existing apartment high-rises. I'm not sure how they got that deal together, but these were like fairly nice high-rise apartments in the art museum area in Philly 
nice, pretty nice area with door, you know, it was a four building apartment complex where families lived and older people, you know, bus service into the, into center city from there was a really nice setup. So it wasn't the typical, you know, dungy, dreary, dank sort of college dorm experience. It was, there were nice places. So we already had that going for us, which we didn't even realize how lucky we were until later on we moved into shitty apartments down in South Philly and stuff like that. So they were the they were the guys who I was first with, and you think it would have went better, but I think because there was already that familiarity and that politeness, that you know us three being thrust together was sort of a bad idea. You know, like it was a it was proof positive that friends that existed together as teenagers living in different homes on Long Island, spread out a little bit, not actually living under the same roof, worked out great. When we were together under the same roof, for whatever reason, or for whatever reasons, it just wasn't, you know, that that sort of, um, I don't know, comfort, that sort of friendship. It didn't, it wasn't, it didn't really flourish in that sort of environment. And I ended up having to move out I think those two guys stayed together. And I think it was the type of thing like if this friendship is going to persevere, we got to do something because this is too much. This is too much hostility, you know, and it was kind of weird and it was even hard to articulate at the time. So I ended up moving in with this guy from Staten Island, this guy, Jamal, and he was a nice guy, but he was older. He already served a, a, a career in the Marines, I think, and he was married. And his wife was still living in Staten Island and he was in the dorms. I think he was going for like music production or something. And that was another thing of like, you're putting this young 20-year-old kid with this guy who's probably in his mid-20s, if not older 20s at that point. And you got this whole trade school environment where it wasn't like the typical university where people were coming in right out of high school you know, 99% of the student body was like 17, 18, 19 years old, 19 years old because of the trade school associates degree format. People were coming like people were coming in later. People were coming in after their military, you know, service. They were coming in as like thinking of like a second career. I went to school with people like in their thirties. So it was like this huge diversity, even age wise, which was strange. So my my roommate situation got off to very strange beginnings with those two things and then from being in that weird structure it would it would kind of pan out to being in a typical you know independent apartment with other people closer to my age a lot of the times and stuff like that but that's where it started for me which was like these inauspicious beginnings that were even kind of hard to explain because it was odd and it was hard to relate to a lot of people because it was so different than my contemporaries. Like it was just, it was a whole different setup because of the apartment high rise, because of who I was rooming with. You know, it wasn't a typical thing where it was like, all right, we're both 17. You're from the Midwest. I'm from New York, but we're, you know, we're in this together. We're in the same school. We're in the same major. There wasn't a campus when I was in college. You know, it was a downtown school with one building. So it was very, it was a very strange kickoff to my roommate situation, but I have to say, I learned a lot. And, you know, this would just, that experience and those apartment buildings and the people I met would then sort of snowball or affect everything that came after, especially the people that I met who I would go on to, who I'd go on to live with. 
But where did you, what about you? Where did you want to, where'd you want to begin your journey with this? I would say two thirds of my list are, is my college experience. And uh, I had very different experiences those four years. And um, I said at the beginning that my, my first time living with someone was my freshman year of college and uh, Whitehall, Northeastern University, if anyone goes there or is familiar with it. And uh, yeah, I had my first roommate there. I lived in a in a dorm, very traditional freshman style dorm with just community bathrooms and like each room had two or three people in it. And it was so overcrowded. Northeastern, I think, has built a lot of new buildings now, but it was so overcrowded that a lot of these build these rooms that were really for two people had three in them. You know, you had like you had like bunk beds and then like another bed that was high sure. with like a desk underneath it. And then it was just like, you know, my girlfriend at the time lived in a, a room like that down the hall from me. And I lived, I happened to have a room where I had only one roommate. And that was just a coincidence, I think. And uh, that was really awesome. And the first roommate I lived with is this guy named Greg. He was from New Jersey. I don't know. If, well, you didn't go through this, but a lot of people did if they went to college at, especially back in the day, pre-social media and all of that you would get a thing in the mail from your school and it would say like, here's who you live with and here's their phone number. And uh, that's it. And you had the choice to call and try to get in touch with people. So I remember getting that information and reaching out and talking to this person on the phone. His name was Greg. He had a nickname. It wasn't a bad nickname, but I don't want to say it in case he doesn't want to be outed because maybe people would know uh, what his nickname was or whatever. I've probably talked about him in the past. He was a nice guy. He was huge, not fat, but just huge. And uh, he snored really loudly. I think I told the story about how I used to like bang on the wall when he was sleeping to wake him up and then pretend I was sleeping. Like I would just like, <laughs> on the wall and then, and then he would like bounce up like like and I would be like, you oh, know, the I was snoring. Asleep. And uh, he was the yeah, I just it was like fucking out. It was outrageous and it really drove me crazy. But here's the thing is that a month or so. So he had some issues i mean he definitely did i i think he's like okay now i i don't i'm friends with him on facebook still i think but i haven't checked in on him in a long time but um i think he's like married and has kids and stuff so you have to remember this was in 2003 i guess and he uh i walked in on him cutting himself one day I oh think you shit. and so this was probably in like october or whatever and he was like really depressed and like crying and like he had a oh. girlfriend back home and all this he was just like a total mess. And by the way, freshman being a freshman in college, a lot of people are like that. I was I remember getting to school early, a little earlier. You had like a five day period. So I was there like to move in. So I was there before him. And I remember okay. just being in my the room for a couple of days, like totally like feeling like I was going to throw up for some reason. Like it was scary. You know, it's like, holy shit, I'm in college. Like, oh, you're throwing a whole like, new here. world. Yeah, I'm here. I'm sure. here now. And uh, it's nuts. And it's interesting. And this is the whole social dynamic and all that. And everything panned out great in that regard. But it, I don't think it did for him. And so he I walked in on him cutting himself or whatever, like blood everywhere and shit like that. And I went and told the RA, um, who's this guy, Nick, he was a weirdo. And uh, he came and, you know, that he got like taken out on an ambulance and shit like that. Wow. And I was afraid oh, yeah. that at that time I was like, holy shit, that I just like rat this guy out or something like I didn't. You know, it's just like, what are you supposed to do? But he came back a few weeks later to school to get his stuff because he went back home. He was only at Northeastern for a semester. Okay. And uh, his he thanked me for doing it. And his parents both thanked me for saving his life. And uh, so that's what I remember about this dude. And I don't that's know if I heavy. saved his life because I don't think he was like cutting his like down his like. But he was cutting his like legs and there was just like everywhere. He had scars everywhere. What was he doing that with a razor blade? Yeah, I don't remember. 
be honest. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, I know that's a thing, but that's wow. That like to when you would walk into that. Like when you would walk into the room, we had our bed, like a bunk bed to the right. Okay. And to the left were like two desks, and his desk was here and my desk was next to it. And okay. he was like, so when I walked in, I think Ramon might have been with me. And by the way, that's when uh that's when I met Ramon, who lived down the hall, Chris, who ended up being a good friend of mine who lived down the hall, and okay. uh Kevin, who lived down the hall. And so the next year. By the way, oh, so before I got out of freshman year, so he left. And then for the rest of that semester, I was alone. So people around me mostly had two other roommates with them, and I was alone, which was awesome. So people used to come and like we'd party in my room or, and hang out or whatever. And then January came and I got another roommate. And this guy was named James. And he was this black dude. I don't know if you remember from your neck of the woods. He lived, okay. I think, in your old town. And uh, he was a football player. Northeastern doesn't have a football team anymore. We folded it because they ended up using the money i think that was supposed to be for the football stadium for something else no one cares about football northeast (laughs) it's we're a hockey school Um, yeah we play hockey there so but he was a football player he was there on scholarship and he was a really nice guy memories i have of him though another snore Mm. he's like a lineman or something that's another snore and then two other things i remember i I remember having this well actually three things i remember about this guy number one he had this protein powder that smelled like maple syrup and I okay. fucking hated it and it made everything smell like maple syrup. And I eventually made him bring it to the gym and get it out of the room. So I remember that. <laughs> he couldn't even like, deal with it. I remember that being an awkward thing because I was like, dude, you have to get this thing out of here. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it smells like a fucking breakfast buffet in here. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it could be. It could have smelled worse. Yeah, definitely. But it was just annoying. And it's like, I don't want to, you know, fucking smell like 24 breakfast. hours a day. Yeah. So and it's like we're living in like a fucking sarcophagus <gasps> in here. Like, come on, man. Yeah. So I remember tiny, that tiny. And I remember, so I remember that. And then I remember that because my girlfriend, like I said, lived down the hall from me and we dated most through college after that, but like he would never leave the room for us to like fool around. I remember that. So I remember that. And then the third thing is I remember this one specific thing he said to me and I thought it back. I've thought back about it so much because I'm like, I don't know what he meant, which was, he was like, I was like, he was out with some girl and I was like, Oh, do you have a good time? He's like, yeah, man, my, you know, my, my knees are tired or something like that. And I was like, the fuck does that mean? And, and ever <laughs> since then, I'm like, I didn't want to like ask him what he meant because I felt like it, I was a loser or something. I also think he wasn't a freshman. I think he might have been like a sophomore or something. So I didn't want to be like a, a, like a loser or whatever. And so I just was. But then I think back, I'm like, what do you mean? Your knees are tired. You know? And so and I, I, still, I still don't you know. You still don't know? No, I have no idea. Oh, so it's I mean, one I of those have, Lewis Black I have some ideas. things. I have some, like... Yeah, I have some ideas. You know, but I have n- I never cla- asked him for clarification. <laughs> All right. So then. But what was great was in Whitehall, I made a lot of good friends in Whitehall, a lot of really solid people there and uh, very memorable people around me, that cast of characters, because sure. as people that went to college, you know, in the traditional college, like American collegiate setting, your th- freshman year is when you're thrust into. I think even if you do know people, you're not allowed to live off campus or with like people, you know, I think they're like literally just they mix up the pot. And so that's when you're around the most amount of people mm-hmm. that you don't know. And a lot of fucking characters, you know, like a lot of just people we still talk about. It. Ramon was just here, who's my best friend. And we met freshman year of college because we both had 311 shirts on. He lived down the hall. He was playing like 311 on the guitar or something. We just became really good friends. But that I remember all the people that lived around us. And it's like, man, it's a cast of characters in this place, you know, and <laughs> Motley crew. So we remained close with a few of them, but four of us kind of congealed into a group. Ramon, me, and our friends, Chris and Kevin. Chris is from the Hamptons on Long Island. Kevin, oh, okay. and he, his dad's a builder out there. And nice. Kevin is from, New, um, not New Paltz, um, 
Pauling, which is in okay. upstate New York, but like upstate, on the Connecticut okay. border. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I wanted to think of the, the name of the name of it. And so he, Kevin's kind of, Kevin's an, an electrical engineer now. Chris is an architect. Ramon's obviously a musician. I'm whatever this is. But at the time, we were obviously all just in school and we just became good friends. We were all very different. And so the next year we got together and lived together. That's when you can start. So our sophomore year, that's when you can start like pairing up if you want. So everyone does okay. that. Okay. And so the four of us got a place in Willis Hall and the, the, it sucked because the, the, it ended up being awesome. But Willis Hall was like the one of the worst places to end up. Because by the time you start getting out of freshman dorms, like that's when it opens up to all of the amazing dorms that Northeastern has. Northeastern has an an array of spectacular dorms, which I ended up living in in junior and senior year. And they even have apparently newer ones now. But because we wanted to stay together, we had to go as a foursome and it was hard to fit in anywhere in the in the lottery. So we went to Willis Hall and this this place was funny. I mean, it was hysterical. I mean, it was just it was it was the last time I lived in a room with someone. Right. So this was not a room. Now, this was an apartment and there were two bedrooms. So we two were bedrooms. paired off okay. in two and two. So Ramon and I lived together and Chris and Kevin lived together. And each of those rooms was like the size of the rooms we came from. So then we had like a big living room and like a dining room and a kitchen bathroom. Yes. So you nice. know, sinks. It was great. And so that was kind of how things went like halfway through college was living with these guys. And they were funny. Kevin was a uh, is a hippie kind of dude. Not not so much anymore, but kind of like was a hippie, you know, jam band dude and chris was like really into you know rap and he was just he was just he's hysterical i just talked to him the other day and ramon just a musician and always you know upset about a girl or something like that you know, making fun of him about <laughs> so it was uh and me always completely stoned in fact ramon and i were talking about a story when he was here from that apartment where his friends came to visit him and i accused them of stealing my weed and then we still don't really know if they did or not that was like another thing where I'm like, I don't know if I just smoked it, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that I they, they did take it. But then they swore that they didn't. And I'm like, man, it's kind of fucked up to accuse someone like that if they didn't. But I don't really remember right. it either. So. <laughs> so there was that. Oh, you reminded me of so many things. Yeah. So let me kick it back to you. Where do you want to take it from here for you? Because I'm, I'm halfway through college at this point. The junior and senior years are a little more subdued, although I have some funny question, uh, funny issues about that. And I'll get to that after uh, you continue. You reminded me of so many things there. You something I completely forgot about, and I wanted to ask you about this. I remember pre, you know, going off to school with the Art Institute specifically, they did a thing where they would send you like a questionnaire. And this was to test or to see who you should be placed with as a roommate. And I think the idea is that they were going to test your compatibility based on who you were, what your interests were, right? So it was like I filled out my thing. I was interested in skateboarding and drawing and anime and hip hop music, whatever I put on there. And I remember people telling me then, I don't remember who it was. It might have been our uncles. I'm not sure who it was because they weren't even college guys. So I don't even know if it would make sense if it was our uncles or something. But somebody was like, don't put music on this because, yes, you like hip hop music, but do you. It could be a thing where you end up with somebody just based on the music you like, and that right. could be a little bit of like of a bridge too far. That can mean a lot of different things or whatever. And I was like, no, if, like I held my ground. I was like, no, like I'm going to, I'm psyched. Like if they know I like skateboarding and hip hop, like they'll put me with somebody who's like a like-minded dude. And that's how I ended up not with Brian and Chris, because that was a whole nother thing where we, we just kind of worked it out based on 
the fact that we already knew each other. And I think Brian was already there for a year or a year and a half. And Chris was already there for, he was already there for like the better part of a year. So they were able to sort of set those wheels in motion. But how I ended up with Jamal was through that questionnaire. And again, he was a nice guy. He was just like six or seven years ahead of me in life. And he was already married and his wife was, I think there was already some hardship there because he was looking at this second thought career and his wife was living a hundred miles away. So there was already this crazy stuff going on. But I do remember that questionnaire being a thing. The other thing here and you talk about that I remembered was I was dating a girl, you remember her, that she, we were dating on Long Island and I went off to school. She was a year, year younger than me and she went off to school in Manhattan. When I was going to the Art Institute, she was going to Pace downtown in New York and she had the prototypical, you know, claustrophobic, tiny, small quarters dorm room that she shared. It was like the one room with the beds and the desk, just room enough for like the mini fridge, that type of deal. And it just strikes me how sort of crazy and unprecedented my initial college living situation was because not only did my school commandeer that Parktown apartment complex near the art museum, right within earshot of the museum, beautiful area, pastoral, just outside of Center City, just up the up, up Ben Franklin Parkway and Logan Circle. But also, I remember this. They had, where my friend Chris actually lived initially, they had taken over another or a, a block of another high-rise luxury apartment building called Corman Suites. I'm sure it's still there. It's right near the library and Logan Circles, beautiful part of the city. Gorgeous apartment. Like, Kyle, you would walk into the lobby of this place and there was like the marble floors with the doorman and the guy playing the piano in the lobby, Sick. like that. And then you have like these 18-year-old punker kids, like ravers and like piercings and skateboarders and stuff that were living in the building. I can't even imagine the trouble it must have caused with, you know, these like high-level upper middle class tenants and then like these kids using it as a dorm room. So like the, the, the noise and the music at night and like just knowing like some of the people that lived in there, not that they were in any way like unsavory types, but they were just kids. You know, usually they would be somewhere off like like your Northeastern thing where like it was like a block of dorms where it was a bunch of like-minded people, boys and girls, the same age doing the thing. But now you're thrusting kids into this, you know, work a day like, you know, these are like all like families and like business people and husband and wives and like young successful people living in these buildings, maybe in their 20s and 30s. And you're mixing them with like teenage art students. It's so crazy to think back. Now, I'm sure that, you know, if we think back 25, almost 30 years ago to the mid 90s, like that could have only taken place in a city, a big city like Philly back then. And I'm sure it was a quick lesson for everybody. And then like that stopped, you know, by the time I finished college in 98, that they weren't dorming in like apartment high rises anymore, but it was like some sort of thing where they thought this would be a good idea, which is very funny to think back on. And I'm glad that I was kind of thrust into that format because I think everything that came, all my colorful stories and all the cast of characters that I met, you know, as a result of that time was all be all due to that exact setup, which is so interesting to me 
And, you know, later on, it's a shame because I was really lucky. Not only was I living with two friends initially that I already knew for seven or eight years, but we were in a place like your second place, like an actual apartment with a detached living room and a separate kitchen and eating area and then two bedrooms. So if you had three or four roommates, somebody had to share, if not everybody had to share a bedroom. But that was such a preferable setup to like the one little claustrophobic room or like with me and Jamal, we were in the apartment high rises, but we were in a studio apartment. So our beds were right out there in the open. I had my girlfriend visiting from New York. He had his wife. The kitchen was right there. There was no detachment to it. So if you're cooking and somebody's sleeping, like it's just, I quickly, any sort of romantic notion of being out of the house and independence and freedom and this is going to be great. No more dealing with mom and dad's rules. Like that was quickly thrown out the window because it was just such a shitty setup. I hated it almost immediately. And to this day, I hate I hated having roommates. There was no better feeling. And we'll talk about this later more, but there was no better feeling than leaving college and going off to my first job and having my own one bedroom apartment. It was literally heaven for me. And that's when I realized like you personally, Dagan, are just better off not living with people. You don't like it. And also I think I could be kind of hard to live with. Like I have OCD. I like things orderly. I think, you know, I have three roommates now, right? My wife and two kids. Five if you count the dog and cat. I think until you get used to me, I could drive you a little crazy. For sure. Like, I definitely have my foibles as far as like, I like to know where things are. I like everything in its place. That sort of thing. You know, cleanliness, of course, that type of thing. But yeah, I'm just, I learned that about myself by the time I was turning 21. That I was like, dude, you do not, belong with roommates. Now I had to suffer through it due to, you know, the, our, whatever our situation is in our early, late teens, early twenties, financial situations, you can't live out on your own yet. You're not even working your first job. You're trying to put yourself through school, working these menial jobs and all that. So it brings me to living at Parktown and then not working out with my roommate Jamal, which again was kind of a funny thing to think back on because there was definitely no love lost or any bad blood between me and Jamal personally. I think it was more due to the tension of just the situation where it was like living, being so different, you know, him being married, me being a lot younger, that whole setup, but also just all of that taking place in a studio apartment. It just wasn't a good, it just wasn't a good look. You know, he was like an adult, right? you know, and I was like this kid, I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I was still learning. So while I was living with Jamal, I met a group of friends that also went to the Art Institute that lived in a, another building of the four where I would hang out a lot. And it was my friends, Matt, Mike, and Gary, who all lived together. They were all from the Northeast. I remember Gary specifically was from Albany. And the other two were from the Philadelphia area, of, you know, maybe down into the Delaware Valley or something, Bucks County, I don't know, Westchester. But they were all lo- semi-local dudes. Gary was from Albany. And it was such a weird time. Like thinking back to that era, like the melting pot situation of like the common thread, of course, being art. Like everyone was an artist of some sort, whether you were in industrial design, 
graphic graphic design, animation, advertising. Maybe you were a filmmaker. Maybe you're in music production. Um, trying to think of any of the other majors that I missed. It didn't really matter. Everybody was kind of mixing it up, and that creativity was the through line because there was the druggies, there was the stoners, there was the kids still stuck in their raver days, there was the punk rockers, you know, the kids that were into the tats and the piercings and stuff. There were just the app, you know, the skate. Everybody seemed to have a skateboard, but then there was like the core skaters who were like the skaters that would hit Love Park every day type thing, and then there was the people that just had skateboards as more of an accessory, but anything went, you know, and everybody just mixed it up and hung out and then whoever's girlfriends and boyfriends. So that sort of whole sphere came together. It was a big group of people hanging out in Mike and and Gary and Matt's apartment every weekend, it seemed like, or on weeknights and stuff. And that's where I met this whole cast of characters, many of whom I would later live with. But Thinking back to those dudes, it was kind of nice to be able to have somewhere to go. Where somewhere where I felt like more like social, but also more like I fit in. They were more my age. Maybe they were a year younger than me, maybe a year older. But for the most part, you know, it was a bunch of suburban kids coming up coming together. And that's where I feel like I got my first normal college experience outside of the late 20s, married already dude, or trying to live with my friends. You know, where it was like, I had this normal, whatever normal art school, college dorm experience through those dudes. And then later on, like, I realized the tension between me, Chris and Brian, that's still unexplainable in some ways. This was like crazy stuff. And I I don't even remember what the beef was due to. I really honestly don't. It was just that type, you know, it could have been over petty things like, oh, you took my food and you didn't let me have enough of your food. Like. That whole thing that I didn't, which I'll get to on my next bit, where I just didn't really understand what it was like to have roommates. You know, I was 20 years old. I grew up Italian, especially with the food thing. Nobody ever told me I couldn't eat anything. It was like, I, you don't really understand the value of a dollar yet, even though you work in menial jobs and part-time jobs through, through high school and stuff. You're not really thinking like, oh, you know, like I need this. You know, you're just thinking like the food's there. I'm going to eat it type of thing. Like I, you, it's a learning curve when you're off on your own. You're not being fed by mom and dad anymore. Or like I'm at PJ's house where her, his Italian mom is like throwing food at me 24 hours a day. Like that's what I was used to, that generosity. Or not even thinking about like that was the, the culture of food that you know, you know very well of growing up like in our house, grandma and grandpa's house. Like, you know, aside from dad being miserly with the food shopping, but it was like <laughs> food was just like a – you didn't think about food. Like it was just a thing. Like you, you enjoyed eating, you ate, you know, it wasn't like, Oh, like you ate two of my egg rolls, but like, I only had one of your pizza, like one of your like Elio's pizzas. Like you don't, you're not even thinking like that. So I don't know if that was the tension, but it was funny. You know, I'm still very close with Chris today. Brian sort of fell off the map a while ago. I'm not really sure where he's at, but like thinking back to those growing up stories of like that animosity and those, that, brief period of infighting and stuff and just finding out like, you know, you're going through this whole period of like growing up, like you're saying, being thrust into the real world. You're not living under your mom and dad's roof anymore. So there's an air of independence, but also the responsibility that comes with that. You don't really know how to do it. So a lot of my initial experience, I think, was unpleasant until I found Matt, Gary, and Mike in that place and that little place to go and commune and 
chill out, drink a beer. That's where we discovered South Park together with the South Park pilot. Like everybody was like, Matt was like the first 311 nerd I ever knew, like even before you, you, cause you were a kid, you know, yeah. we had 311 posters in his room. I didn't even know what that was. He was really into his music. Like everybody had, there was like a like-minded thing where everybody knew a little bit about anime. Like it was just, I felt like an accepting place to go. It felt like the, the first time I was home since I arrived in Philly. And that was probably like a year into my experience. So that was an important sort of formative place for me, even though I didn't live there. I kind of lived there, you know what I mean? Because that was like a home away from home for me until I struck out later on to get my first roommates and move out of those apartment complexes and be much more tossed into Philly as a scene rather than being in the Art Institute umbrella, you know, Mm. then you're getting thrust out into, you know, just urban Philly living, you know? So, yeah, so I could stop it there. What about you? What's next? Well, yeah, I just want to say to your, your wife listened to 311 before me too. That's true. Yeah. But I didn't know her yet. So, yeah, going back for me, back to Northeastern, just capping that off. Junior and senior year are where I lived in really nice places. I I met one person in particular that's very important to me still. But in at Northeastern, there's a huge Northeastern's in the middle of Boston, but it's huge. And it takes up like, I don't know, 60 acres or something like that. And uh, there there's a park called West Village that they started building in the 90s. That's like all of these brand new dorms and they kept building them. And they're still building them, and now they're building East Village, and I think it's already done. I went there a couple of years ago. I'm like, what the hell is this? I mean, this was like a whole part of the. I, I said before that when I was there, I was also like, you know, how do you do, fellow kids? I mean, I felt so <laughs> old being there, and that was like when I was that was in 2015 or 2016. I can only imagine how fucking can you imagine doddering I look like when I'm walking around that campus now. But I feel like I still belong there. But the first uh, that junior year, the first year I lived in West Village, I lived in West Village A, and. There, I lived with a good friend of mine. So it was another similar thing to Willis Hall where you walk in, kitchen, dining room, living room, two bedrooms, bathroom, and all of that. And in my bedroom, I lived with uh, Doug, who's still a good friend of mine. And I haven't seen him in an embarrassingly long time at this point, but he's a buddy of mine. We still text and and communicate once in a while. And uh, back then, we were very close. He's from Maine. He was a big baseball fan. We really bonded over sports. We go to Patriots games and Red Sox games and watch those games. And not that I was, you know, Jets, Patriots and Yankees, Red Sox, of course. But uh, we really bonded over sports. And he would always wear a Red Sox hat and I always have my Yankee hat on. And I don't think I told this story, but this is true. And this is phenomenally small world stuff. When I moved in and met Doug, I remember that I thought I was moving in early because my mom worked in Northeastern. So I had like, yes, you know, yeah, yeah. I was, you know, I always kind of took advantage of that when I could. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, I'm going to move in before everyone moves in. I couldn't stay there, but it was like, I can get my stuff in there and then just not have to deal with like move in day and shit. As everyone remembers with like the fucking carts and parents everywhere in cars is a fucking God, remember that? horrible. And so Northeastern is year round. So uh, and Northeastern used to be quarterly. In fact, it's semesters now, but there's like a summer semester and all of that. So people and the co-op system fucks it all up too. Co-oping, co-opting is, which is Northeastern's calling card, is when you take a year off from school and just go work for a company and oh, then come okay. back to school. Okay. And okay. Northeastern is famous for this. They're considered the best co-op school in the world. That's why Northeastern is a five-year school. I did it in four years because I did my internships while I was in school, but a lot of people take their time off. And in fact, some people go and work for these companies, make money and never come back. But 
what Northeastern has like amazing connections. So people that co-op usually or not usually, but often go work for the companies that they called for when they're okay. done. So if you're like that an electrical sense, engineer, yeah. you go. So he worked for EMC, which is a big company. Uh, people might remember that company from being completely ravaged by 9-11. If you go read about it like that. Oh, the wow, that that's got, sad. Like totally. You know, you know, some of those companies, I think TJ Maxx was one of those companies. Oh, I don't like, know. Where there was a shit ton of people killed from like these companies. Oh my and I think God, that was one horrible. of them. But any. But anyway, he worked there, and so he was working over the summer. So he was living there by himself, yeah, yeah. like in this yeah. apartment. So I, I walk in, and I didn't realize that anyone was going to be there. I had my Yankee hat on. He had his Red Sox hat on. And what's funny about the story is that he's playing Zelda 2, The Adventures of Link, on an emulator on his computer. Nice. And we introduce each other. We talk to each other, and he's like, wait a minute. And he pulls up like a document he has open, and he's using my walkthrough Dude, for what? Zelda 2 that he's playing while I moved in. That's so awesome. that was kind of a funny thing, and we ended up bonding. <gasps> and he, he's, he's married to this woman now, but he had dated since high school the same girl he's married to now meg she was really she was awesome she went to simmons which people might remember as an all-girls school in boston so we used to go over there all the time and hang out with them they were fucking they were a blast those girls were awesome and uh we lived with a couple of guys and i don't actually even remember their names i'm embarrassed to say but we lived with like these two guys and one of them they were nice but one of them was like a kind of a meathead and what i remember about him was first of all he'd get really mad that we would smoke weed like really like he'd lose his mind that we would smoke weed like get really upset and i understand that he didn't want to get in trouble tonight but i tried to tell him like dude we, there's always these rumors right like where if you're caught smoking weed in the same place that everyone else is in you're all getting suspended and when you look back at it it's like no you're not can you imagine <laughs> being the parent of like a student you're paying fifty thousand dollars a year to send to school and they're like wait my kid was just in his bedroom while these kids were in their bedroom smoking weed and he's getting suspended i don't fucking think so I'll that sounds a little much you know so yeah. But that's like kind of the ruminations that everyone has in these situations, right? And yes. so he, so I understand. He used to get mad about that. But what I remember about this guy more than anything is that he would only eat two things because he used to work out constantly. Like he'd go to the gym multiple times a day. He'd eat bowls of spinach <laughs> and he'd eat dry turkey sandwiches on wheat. What? I remember as clear as day, bowls of spinach, turkey sandwiches. Iron spinach. and protein. That's, that's what it. That is. That's all he ate. And I, so I what I remember that. about this guy too, is that he tried to be a dickhead once my, my buddies and I were talking and I'm like, we, sometimes we'd have like, you know, how many burgers can you eat? And I was like, yeah, I think I ate like seven or eight, you know, Burger King burgers once yeah. um, in high school. And he was like, no, no way. So then he went and got them and like, he's like, here, let's see, let's see if you can do it. And I'm like, these have mustard on them. I'm not eating these. Oh, right. That's right. <laughs> The dickhead. much maligned mustard. New yeah, England like you don't know me very burger. well. And then <laughs> senior year was I lived in West H. Now that is a really nice building. If you drive by Northeastern on Huntington Avenue, it's the really tall tower. I think it's like 18 stories or whatever. Okay. And uh, that was a great building there. I lived with ra completely random people. And by the time you're a senior, it's a lot of people that are just trying to finish their classes. They don't care and they just want to be in and out. And we in this place, we each had our own bedroom. So it was four bedrooms, a living room, a dining room, and a kitchen, bathroom, and all that. That's nice. Now, I remember, I, I don't know, if, I don't want to talk about who he is, but one of the guys I lived with ended up being a pretty well-known music producer in, in hip-hop. Oh, uh, wow. When I lived with him, I remember very clearly that he got his first big, he it, basically a, a track of his, because he used to write beats, and I used to be in his bedroom sometimes, we'd smoke weed, and he would be writing beats. And he sold one of them while I was there to Snoop Dogg for hit the record they were working on at that oh, time. It was awesome. And he got and I, he's like, I got ten thousand dollars for just contributing this like intro. Wow. He must have been good. He was great. But I, I his name was Mike. I don't want to 
I don't, I just don't know. Like, you know, but, uh, you know, tell him, tell people things that he, you know, that are his business, but, but, uh, yeah. So I remember him and then there was a few other people that I remember. There was a guy that, that lived in from Rhode Island that lived there for a little while. And he had the hope, you know, you ever see the Rhode Island state flag. It's actually pretty cool. It's an anchor and it just says hope underneath it. Oh yeah. So I, re- I have seen it. Yeah. So I remember that he had that like on his wall. There was a guy, I don't remember his name, but he played bass and he used to listen to ICP. I remember. And I was like, and I, I insane clown posse. And I was like, I never really listened to ICP, but I remember being like, oh, a couple of these songs are pretty good. And I think like earnestly thinking that. And a few ICP songs are in my playlist still to this day. Yeah, I don't know any. I mean, they're they're pretty bad, but it's it's fun. It's funny more than anything. And uh, so just a, just a few various characters at that time. But th- by the time I, you know we were at West Age, I was I was getting out of there. And um, at the end of senior year, I actually moved in with my friend Pablo and uh he lived off campus. So that was the first time I was going to live off campus. This was on park in Boston by Fenway, like really close to Fenway, like down the block from Fenway. You can hear actually, if you put on a, a, a the game on Nesson or whatever, and then you listen and there's like a home run, you'll hear like the, and then you'll, oh, the TV, see, and then you'll see the ball get, you'll see the ball get hit out. Cause it's like a couple seconds behind. That's so, awesome. So that was cool. It would be like a real, a real cool environment during, during game day and all that. And it was also down by the venues where you'd see, a lot of shows like the Axis and all that. I don't know if any of those places are are there anymore, but that was in an era where I'd go see anything. Like I saw so many concerts. I've seen, I've been to well over a hundred concerts. I'd say that's a, that's a great opportunity to live in a place like that. Yeah. Like $10, $15, $20 concerts. Oh, Oh, corn's playing. You want to go see corn? Yeah. Right. You know, Oh, you want to go see three days grace blood, you know, like whatever, whoever bloodhound, whoever's playing. It's like, yeah, I'll go. Cause it's literally like a walk down the street. Who gives a shit? So nice. Yeah. So I lived with Pablo and, that was cut really short because I moved in with him in May and that was a few weeks later I got my job offer from IGN and I left and that was the the end because I had actually gotten into grad school as everyone knows and I was going to begin grad school in August so I just moved in with Pablo and the the honest reality is is that I was sleeping on the couch in that apartment I was paying $200 a month to just live there and like hang out basically and Pablo was always at his girlfriend's and um Latimer the guy that he lived with was was always home so it was just me in that apartment and That's it was awesome. Amazing. I loved it. You know, so a few blocks from Fenway, like in, in the heart of that area of Boston. Sure. You know, kind of like by BU, South Boston. Nice area. Back Bay. And uh, yeah, the Fens and all of that. Yeah. So that was kind of me. And then, then I went to San Francisco and that's, that's a whole nother group of, of roommates and, and oh, characters. I can't wait but to yeah, that's that. my, uh, that's my college experience. So let me throw it back to you. And uh, what else do you have to say? Well, it's funny because I feel like this next person I'm going to talk about, this next story, I haven't really told that many people about it, but it's certainly one of the crazier things that happened in my life. And I talked about, or especially in my young college life, in adjusting to living with strangers and stuff. <laughs> and it's funny because I talk about having the notion very early on, just post teen, like, of like, you're not really built for roommates. Like you got to honor that. Like, it's not good for you. It's not good for them. Like, this is not going to be your preference, but I also have to advocate for myself here a little bit because I think I had some trials for sure. Like God was definitely testing with some of these roommates and I'm grateful for it though, because not only does it make for funny stories, but it just makes for funny memories and the people that you meet outside of your little sphere growing up. You know, I wrote some keywords down for my roommate's experience, and I said it would be tales of physical assault, drug deals, close call evictions, 
hit and runs, drunken buffoonery, of course, security blankets, and femme fatales. So we'll get to all that. But this next one I want to talk about is what you were just talking about earlier too. Like, I don't know what the statute of limitations are. So I'll just say like, with this associated with this person, like allegedly. Okay. Okay. It's, it's not allegedly, but I'll just say allegedly. (laughs) All right. So after my experience living with the guy, Jamal, I was hanging out with Mike and Gary and Matt. And I met guys like Ducky and Alex and Mike S and a bunch of girls and stuff through that whole thing. I was hanging with them every day, but I needed a place to live. And I remembered the cat situation just as a brief aside. You know what it was? My girlfriend at the time, who was going to Pace in New York, she was still, you know, she was still living on Long Island. Technically, her family was there. Dad was still out on Long Island. Now, when I left for college, I had two cats that I left with dad. He wasn't happy about it, right? So she decided the first Valentine's Day that I was away from home that she was going to buy me another cat for Valentine's Day. And dad was like, no fucking way. It's not coming here. And I was like, dad, I can't have it in the dorms. Like I'll get kicked out. But sure enough, I had to take the cat. That was Djibouti or shampoo. That was shampoo, I think. Yeah. Um, I had to take shampoo back to the dorms. I had no choice. She got me the cat. Her mom wouldn't take it, which I have no idea why, because her mom had 15 cats. So I don't think 16 would have broke the camel's back. That's but also for where some reason, the cat ended up, isn't it? Isn't that where the cat ended I up? I think, yeah. Th- yeah, that's a good point. I think shampoo did end up back with Megan's mom, but for the interim, I had to take it. And sure enough, the head of housing, who I, I couldn't stand her. She was just like such a... She was really just an unpleasant person. <laughs> she got wind of it, I think, through another person, not a, not associated with the artist, too, just another pedestrian that lived on the floor, an old lady, got wind that we had a cat in the apartment that she told AIPH, this person got in touch with me and was like, you're out in 30 days. You can't have a cat in here. And that meant that Brian and Chris were going to get evicted, too. And they got pissed. But then, so I needed a place to stay post Jamal. So they put me with this guy and still in the park town complex there by the art museum, still dorming. And I don't remember what this guy even went to school for, but his name, I never even knew his last name. His name was gray, like the color. And I believe that was his God given name. That sounds like an RPG character, like a rogue or something. He was, I, his face, his, his Everything about this guy's being will forever be emblazoned in my psyche because he was such a character. So Gray was probably around my age. Maybe he was a little bit older. So think about mid, you know, early 20s, early 20s. And um, a white guy, but very thugged out, right? Always wore like big Jordan shorts, a polo shirt, like a Ralph Lauren shirt, collared shirt, and flip-flops. Okay, that's what he wore all the time. That was like Gray's uniform. And the most unique thing I could, of many unique things about this guy that I can remember is two things. He wouldn't answer the door without a baseball bat in his hand. Okay. And he had the door had like, you know, the movie joke where it's like a million chains, like undoing the door. He had like 10 things on the door, (laughs) like deadbolt, chain deadbolt lock like you know padlock whatever it was it was it was a cartoon to even get the door open and he kept the apartment completely dark 
shades, blinds drawn all the time. And the only source of light that he, that he would allow was in his... Now, the picture, it was a Parktown apartment similar to Mike and Gary's, but it was in a different building. And it was... But it was a typical setup. Living room, kitchen, two bedrooms. And I shared a bedroom with somebody who I get with, and Gray had his own bedroom. The only light he would allow in the apartment was candlelight in his bedroom. That was it. No light. The only time you saw was any light filtering in through the closed blinds and, and curtains. And again, wouldn't answer. Like every time I came home, it took me fucking 10 minutes to get in because it was like, chick, chick, and he had to, you know, look out the peephole and it always had the baseball bat in his hand. Well, it turned out that he was a drug dealer. All right. Now it wasn't like this thing where it was like, I think great. I think he was a self-professed drug. I don't know what he was trading in. I don't know what kind of drugs. I didn't ask. He was really a scary dude. You know, even though he was kind of like my size, my age, like just the way I knew there were guns in the apartment. I think he made that very clear up front. I never saw them, but you know, he made it known whether he was making it up or not, but whether he was kind of like propping up his own legend or whether he was really like that. Right. Right. I just went along with the fact that this was really happening, you know? And the only he was a, he was a fine guy. I don't remember him ever going to school. I don't remember him ever getting on the bus and going to Center City to go to the building to go to whatever he was majoring in. The other weird part of it was the third roommate was a random dude that I went to high school with. That was just mixed into this equation. This guy Richie, who I I believe Richie was always there growing up from K through twelve, but I never really knew him that well. He he was just like a random. Like college, you know, like uh, acquaintance, right? You right. know that I, and then he ended up being my roommate. I, I barely knew him, even though it kind of a, was a weird look because I've known this guy for twenty years, but I don't really know him. And then he's really tight with Gray, and then, you know, and I think maybe they both went to school for music production, and they both did the same thing. They just stayed home, smoked weed all day. They didn't really go to school. It was a weird look. The only time I really ran afoul of those dudes was with the food thing. Because again, I didn't really understand. Like, they would go to wherever, like in the suburbs, like Price Club, Sam's, BJ's, whatever, and get like huge things of like frozen pizza rolls and shit like that. And I would, my mindset was like, sick, like I'm going to have some pizza rolls. And they would eventually, they would probably let it go a couple of times and be like, you're eating literally all the pizza rolls. You didn't pay for the pizza rolls. Like, that was my crash course in like, you, this is, this is not how you live with people. Like you have to contribute and stuff like that, which I learned. Right. right. But eventually it led to, I think, again, like being a problem of like, you have to, you can't, it's not going to work out living with, with these people, which led me to meeting somebody who I would then again, leave. That was my last sort of conglomerate park town, AIPH dorm experience was with this guy. But I'll never forget this guy because he was such, he was just such a character and I have no idea why they thought it would be a good idea to put me with these two people again, because we really didn't have anything in common. You know, it was like, they weren't animation majors. They weren't like, it was such a strange thing. And I, I, even thinking back, it was such a whirlwind that I don't even know how long I was with them. Like it could have been a year. It could have been two months. I have no, I have no idea. You know, if it was, 
two months, it certainly felt like a year. It was one of those things where it was like, you know, it was just kind of un- unpleasant. Um, there was nothing fun about it. It was odd. It was definitely odd. It was like what, you know, you would look around for the cameras. It's like, what movie am I fucking stuck in right now? This is so strange. And how to like, how does like the the situation come down to like me getting kicked out, getting threatened to get kicked out of the dorms for a cat. But this guy's like running a drug. Op- it's like the wire inside right. my, like inside <laughs> this dorm. And like this guy is totally getting away with it. You know, like guns and the the baseball bat and the locks all over the door and just keeping it dark. Like, and the other th- scary thing was like, why? I believe it was a ground level apartment, and I think every building was like, don't quote me, but it was probably like twenty four floors. They were high rises, so that was a weird look too. Why would you put Gray on the ground level, or why would he kind of like submit to being on the ground level when he was, you know, the the FBI, the ATFE could have ran up in there, like. A rival drug gang like who the hell knew what could happen like if he was up higher it could have been a little safer but such a weird such a weird dude i never got to know him i never got to really i never really spoke to him it was really strange man it was really like such a strange experience and having richie there you think would have helped a little bit like but those guys just kind of kept me on the periphery you know what I mean? Like they weren't trying to hang out with me. They were just stuck in Gray's room all the day by candlelight, smoking weed. You know what I mean? They weren't really coming out of there. I had my own bedroom, but it was just like, I don't know. Maybe it was a little lonely. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you know? Sure. That would be the catalyst to get me out of those dorms. I was going to say, I mean, that's kind of, uh, that's the sad reality of like, you know, being the out, the person on the outside looking in, like that happens once in a while too, like where there are people and it's just like, you're not part of the group you know? oh god no those guys really i was an outsider you know so i guess i'll wrap up my side of the story by talking about my experiences in san francisco to an extent and when i moved to san francisco after living at pablo's in boston i lived in a place uh for a couple of years in daly city which is basically like the queens or brooklyn of of san francisco um actually the next block over was san francisco for me so like you'd go down the street and then you'd be in san francisco so for people that know San Francisco, it was like near Cow Palace, which is where the Sharks used to play. And um, so this was an interesting house. I found these guys on Craigslist and they were these gay guys and uh, Rico and Bill were their names. And they had been friends. And I mean, friends, apparently, for like decades. They're apparently not lovers like they Oh, we always like I, when I met them, I was like, all right, so your lovers, are you keeping it on the DL or whatever? But they're maybe they were at one time and it was it was unclear, but they were really just like friends and they would just be together constantly. But there was nothing there. Like, um, I remember Bill. Well, <laughs> never mind. So uh, <laughs> I'll just say I know for a fact that they weren't they weren't Save it for uh, the director's cut. Yeah, they weren't together. So they were these okay. older guys. They were probably in their 50s when I met them. Maybe they're like late 40s or 50s. Oh, wow. And they lived in this beautiful place in Daly City. And people know that know Daly City know that it's basically that it's mountains. It's like hills. All okay. the houses are like built into the side of it. It's an, an incredible place. Like one of the most beautiful living rooms ever. Like and staircases everywhere because it was built into the, into the house. So if you can picture it, you would really walk into the garage. The front door was like next to the garage and you'd walk in. And then there would be a staircase that would go down like on the side all the way to these bedrooms downstairs. And there would be like stairs going down to like different bedrooms, staircase, bedrooms, staircase, bedrooms, like wrapping around. 
And then there would be another thing going forward where the kitchen was on the level. Then you'd go down these stairs into a huge living room. And there was these massive picture windows looking out in, onto the skyline. Dude, it was incredible. I mean, like this was an incredible it place. And you want to know and you want to know what was fucked up about it. So Bill worked at Wells Fargo. Rico worked at Levi. And during the economic crash in 2008, Levi or Rico lost his job and Bill was cut back. And they own this house and they also owned a house, which was even nicer in the Castro, which is considered like the gay part of San Francisco, oh, although, wow. all, although all of San Francisco is gay. At this point, they offered me a third of the mortgage of this house and I couldn't afford it. I was 23 or whatever. I'm like, and I look back, I think it was something like $200,000. Dude, that for my my share, that house is worth millions much dollars, millions. Oh right? my God. And so at, in this house, I was the, I moved in at a time where these two other people were moving out. So I met them very briefly, James and Elizabeth. They were like a couple. They're married, I think now. And I know them because they left me a bunch of furniture. That was like the first time I ever had like a lot of furniture. And I appreciated that. But that's cool. this house was otherwise full of just gay men for the most part. And it was an interesting lesson in a lot. Uh, I play one of them. So we had straight James, gay James and bi James. We had different <laughs> And gay James was like a huge nerd. Huge. Nobody could be Jimmy. Nobody could be Jimmy. No. Gay James <laughs> was like a huge nerd. Huge. He'd play EverQuest every night. He had like the full um, run of Star Trek The Next Generation on VHS, I remember. Uh, like on like this massive shelf. And just he was he was really in, he introduced me to a lot of stuff that I love. He, he introduced me to Axis and Allies and Shogun, like these really awesome board games. And uh, he sang in the, the San Francisco Gay Men's Choir, which is like a big institution in San Francisco. So through oh, wow. them, they had other friends that were also gay guys that would come over. We played D&D and like it was really fun. It was the first time I ever interacted with people that had, you know, I used to smoke weed with these guys that had AIDS or HIV. And I remember smoking a joint with them and thinking in my mind, like this shouldn't hurt. I mean, I'm smoking, you know, like this is kind of my first experience. So it was an interesting thing by James was the only person that I lived with where I didn't really like them very much. And, okay. and you know how we talked about how we find ourselves in situations like adult situations, even now, like I still find myself like, wow, this is a very adult situation. I found myself in one of those situations with by James because I lived with um, my girlfriend at the time, Cheryl, who old fan friends or fans of mine will remember. I haven't talked to her in many years, but um, he said something like, you know, derogatory to her about something. And I literally, it was one of the only times I'd ever really done this in my entire life. Really, the only time I've ever done this person where I literally went to him. I'm like, if you talk to her like that again, I'm going I'm to knock you the fuck out. <laughs> and and it, it caused like this weird, obviously, rift. And then he ended up moving out. He like lost his job during the, the financial crisis and then just never got a job. So I think he was just, he was a fucking low life loser. That guy sucked. And then there were a few other people that walked in and out of that apart in that apartment. There was this guy named Alexander who I met who lived there for a very brief time. He had like real strife with Rico and Bill. So he was kicked out of the house. I remember that. Oh, guy. wow. There was a uh, guy that moved in named Martin, who I was really friendly with, who was another gay guy who when gay James left to move in with his boyfriend, Martin moved in. Okay. And uh, we were really friendly too. And what I remember is he had, so talking about exposure. So he is, his boyfriend was an illegal immigrant. I remember who didn't speak English. Oh, and wow. I used to have these interactions with him in the kitchen. It was really cool over time like where he didn't speak any english and i would slowly like he would slowly be learning english and i remember like saying things to him and martin would translate it and he would try to say things back to me so it was really cool uh an interesting situation so a lot of exposure to things you read about but don't really hear about hiv patients and and gay people with hiv you know this this 
fucking stereotype basically and then sure yeah also um you know like an illegal immigrant who doesn't speak any english you know in a, in a sanctuary city so it's not a big deal yeah right right and then in 2008 i was it 2008 no it was 2009 i left daily city like the queens brooklyn area and actually went into san francisco itself and lived in the sunset and this is where i'll end because i lived there i lived at 25th and lincoln if you guys want to go look in the sunset it was awesome right on golden gate park right near the beach right near the inner sunset where all the restaurants and bars are right on the end line and judah which goes right downtown it was fucking dope i mean i i i would have i loved it there i really did i i I liked i liked the sunset and uh apparently called the sunset because it was designed to trick people into thinking that it was nice there when really it's always foggy but san francisco is the only place where the closer to the water you are not the bay but the ocean the worse it is like you don't want to live in the ocean no one wants to live in the ocean but i liked it there and uh when I moved there, the first time I'll start, I'll end here. Uh, I moved in with a guy named Scott Bromley, and people will know Scott Bromley still. He works for, on Star Wars now. At the time, he was IG, he was IGN's very first community manager. He's like you know a comedian, and and he's just like he was just a really funny guy. And he was the guy I lived with, and he does the the comedy button, which is a, a podcast that still goes on. Oh, cool. And uh, but yeah, he's at Star Wars now. Like he was, I think, the producer of that Star Wars Legends of the Hidden Temple type show that they did with um. Ahmad Best, if people remember that. Oh, but, I don't know it. And he went there a while ago. He's a real talented and funny guy. But living with him was funny because it was the first time I felt like I was being observed for humor's sake. Like, and, oh, and like he found me interesting and funny. And we had a really he only lived there for a year with me and then he moved out. And that's when uh, Greg and Mike Mitchell moved in. But uh, I just that was a really interesting experience. His girlfriend ended up moving in and they're married now. And uh, he was just a, he's a nice guy. I always really liked Scott. And, you know, I remember this really interesting conversation I had uh, with him. It's prophetic and eerie where he was talking about getting laid off and how he felt like he was going to get laid off. And then the very next day he got laid off. Oh, wow. Like he was war- he was fretting about it. And yeah. It and I was like and I was I remember coming oh, home shit. being I'm, I'm like, I can't believe that. That's insane. Because I was given a heads up later on when pe- when layoffs were coming, and I hated that. Like I knew when people were going to get laid off, and I, oh, I really okay. hated that. But Even that was you I, weren't going to be okay. Yeah, I remember being told specifically. God, you want to hear a fucked up story? This has nothing to do with uh, with roommates, but I'll cap off with this, and then I'll throw it back. Yeah, to you. sure. Is uh, there were layoffs right after the PlayStation Four reveal in February of 2013, and okay. IGN knew that they were going to do this, but didn't say anything until after the event, so that everyone would work or whatever and like not but and here's the big but so i knew about this and they told me because i was going to new york city and they're like we're laying everyone off you know everyone's getting laid off when you're in new york so wow we don't want you to worry here's who's getting laid off and it was fucked up oh wow and i was like okay i don't know why you're telling me who you can just tell me no no one but the the fucked up thing about these various uh prophetic well this this prophetic layoff uh situation with um with Scott was that he had just he had just called it from a mile away and it was uh it was a sick and scary kind of thing and like this eerie situation that I remembered with him and in 2000 so later in 2013 when there were these lay these layoffs everyone this this thing was happening people were working but the engineers found out that they were getting some of them were getting laid off and so what did they do they sh- they shut off all the ads across the entire site for the entire day and during the entire ps4 reveal and this was like a big thing behind the scenes what? and cost ign like 
enormous amounts of money oh, on, like, on like one of the biggest traffic days ever because it got out that oh, there was going to be layoffs. Oh my! So a little God. piece of IGN, uh, you know, intrigue for you there. People are going to be interested in that little yeah. tidbit. Yeah. So like it was uh, like yeah, just somehow the engineers found out and they like yeah they just shut everything off. So IGN made no money from the PS4 reveal. Probably would have made hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was holy cow. <laughs> That's how that's that's why that's that's uh, turbulent waters to tread, man. You know, and that's why I just remember that thing with Scott, because I was like, that was prophetic. And then something weird happened later on with another layoff. So that's brutal. That truly is brutal. That's ugh, yeah, that breaks my heart. That sucks. I'm certainly no stranger to being privy to the layoffs and sometimes being laid off myself in the entertainment industry. But that's yeah, no, it's I know. never I'm, easy, man. Never, I know. I mean, just happened, I, I was you know? so lucky, dude. I mean. Well, I worked really hard. I mean, I made myself really invaluable, but even people that are invaluable end up getting laid off, of course. But I survived so many of those. Like, I couldn't believe it. Just mathematically, I couldn't believe that my car didn't get pulled. Yeah, you I think, did. I think there were five or six layoffs while I was at IGN. I mean, it wasn't like, and the That's thing is, IGN would just be bigger the next year. Like it would lay people off and then the next year, the headcount would be even larger. Then it would lay right. people off and it would be even larger. And the, I was right, like, what is right, the right. point of this? Like, what are That's, you doing? The corporate structure is crazy. You smartly... I feel like moved up quickly to a station where it was not 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 just because of talent, obviously because of talent, but also just because you know you kind of made yourself invaluable, which sometimes you know is also luck of the draw. Like moving up that ladder, not only does somebody might not like, let's say for, for animation, for example, you're an animator, you want you might want to stay down there in the trenches and be an animator. You know, you might not want to ascend. Well, isn't that kind? Isn't that kind of how you feel sometimes? Sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes when you're working on something, you have the most leeway, room for creativity, maybe room to maneuver. If you're a little bit lower down in the trenches, trenches, and sometimes it's just more enjoyable. You know, it depends on the project, and you know, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't want to ascend. Sometimes that you know, sometimes that ascension is blocked. You know, for some reason, even if you want that or if you aspire to that, it's blocked. But yeah, it's interesting, man. It's uh, just happened to my family over at Sesame. I don't know if you guys could see that SWAT sweatshirt in the back, the Sesame Workshop Animation Team sweatshirts back there. That team was, I wasn't there at the time because I had left for another gig, but in the interim, in the summertime, they were let go. You know, that team was disbanded after it was formed in 2009. So they went, wow, the better part of 12 years. And then, you know, so there's never any guarantees. That's always, that's always tough. Bean always counters. Tough, um. All right, so let me uh, throw it back to you as we as as you uh, wrap up your all right your tales so, of roommates. Yeah, this is a good thing, I, and I'll lump the next two in together because they both come after again my initial dorm experience, coming out of my you know my college and being thrust out now from like I feel like it went from being home on Long Island, living at your parents' house, to then being thrust into a collegiate dorm situation associated with the school to then being sort of another level removed with just being in my own apartment, which is being like completely unassociated. My living quarters and my living space being a to- you know completely unassociated with where I'm going to school. And so coming out of the gray apartment situation, living with that guy, I met a friend. You which you 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 may remember him, Kyle, I'm not sure. This guy Alex, who was a year or two younger than me. Again, that was kind of common that somebody would be a year or two younger than me because I started school a year and a, a year and a half late. So 
a lot of these guys would be coming in and I would meet them via, you know, pockets of friends that I already had. Alex came around. I forget where he was from initially, but he was an interesting cat and kind of a, kind of a sad story too, unfortunately, but he was a younger dude. So let's say I was 21. He was probably 19. He came into the fold. He had a skate, you know, he was a skate, he skated, smoked weed. He was into art. He was into drawing. He was into animation. I think he was going to school for animation. And he was an acquaintance already of my friends, Mike and Matt and Ducky and Gary and everything. So he came Ducky. around, he kind of got into the posse and we'll get to Ducky. Yeah. He's next. But Alex was interesting because, and he kind of gave me my opportunity to get out of that situation because he was basically being taken care of by supposedly a rich uncle who was kind of paying his way through school. Like he was giving Alex money to live, giving money to Alex for an apartment. I think the mandate was like, you don't have to work. You just have to go through, you know, you have to go through school for two years, get your associate's degree. And Alex knew that I was looking for a roommate and he was like, all right, come live with me. We'll find an apartment. So we found this apartment just South of South street, just South of center city, right outside center city, uh, right by the hospital and on the West side of broad street. And it was a, it was brand new. It was just renovated. There was only like four apartments in the building. It was like a three or four level building. And Alex and I moved into this place. The thing with Alex was he was a quirky dude. Like he was, I think, severe ADHD. And he was probably the first person I knew who was on like a steady diet of Ritalin, you know? And I always, I'm not really that familiar with that drug. And I don't know that many people that took it, believe it or not. I think Ritalin started after Gen X. And I think that's the reason why. But I always got the sense with him that his problems stemmed more from the drug, from being on the drug than yeah. just being Alex, you know? That's what, that's but, what the experience is. I, 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 not to interrupt, but I, with Ritalin, we were talking about jet, well, I, I had a good buddy of mine, Cody. Um, oh yeah, you know, sure. Yeah. Um, growing up who was on Ritalin or prescribed Ritalin and stopped taking and refused to take it, would hide it from his parents because he was felt like it was, I think not it was like changing him or whatever. So sure. you're right that it was really more my generation that was dealing with it at first. And uh, that just brought up that, that memory that, you know, he really had an adverse relationship with it. Similarly. Yeah. I, you know, I think you're right though. I think it is your generation that largely came into that sort of era of especially Ritalin, but also it is, it's a potent, it's a potent drug, man. That's a heavy duty prescription. I mean, was anyone, sure. was anyone talking about ADD or ADHD when you were a kid? Because like even when no, I was young. Oh, no, no. When I was a kid, no. When I was, even when I was in it. high school, you sometimes heard ADD. I didn't even really know what it meant. And then yeah. ADHD was something I didn't even hear until I was an adult. Like, oh, ADHD. I'm like, what is? And then you stop seeing ADD. It's like, are, so are there two different, is like sometimes an ADD and sometimes ADHD. So yeah, a lot of these they, things are even, a lot of these things are even beyond my generation because I, I never even, I wasn't in school when that was like, no one was talking about autism. No one was talking about ADHD. No, no. no one was talking about, no, nope. definitely not when I was no. there. You know? yeah. No, there was some sort of awakening. I feel like with that, like where it was like, you know, they, they were getting, I, I guess they were getting their druthers or they were getting their, you know, they were starting to wrap their head around what it was or how you could treat it and all that kind of stuff. But, and I'm sure his parents or whoever it was knew you know thought that everything was you know on the up and up or that he really needed it but i always felt like he was like a really really hyperactive fidgety dude like he was always moving he was 
there was a there was a nervousness to him. You know, like he would be walking around in the apartment. He chain smoked. He smoked a lot of weed, which I realized like he was really medicating. And the thing was not to blow up Alex's situation too much, but we all knew or the people that he entrusted with this information or whatever that he confided in, like his dad apparently was a transvestite. Like I think it started as, I don't know where the mom was in the picture. I'm assuming that there was a divorce or that she left. And then his dad was like, you know, started, I think, as a cross-dresser and then eventually became like a full-on transvestite. And Alex really struggled with it, you know? And I think that was a big part of his problem. His uncle stepped in. I think his uncle, I don't, I'm not sure whose sibling it was, the uncle, but the uncle stepped in as like a caretaker for Alex. But he had a lot of problems. It, it reminds me earlier about your roommate who was, who was cutting themselves. I never saw Alex physically harm himself, but it was definitely obvious that he had a lot of issues, you know? So- there would be, and we were young, you know, so there would be pockets of the groups of people that we hung out with that were kind of hard on him and teased him and made fun of him. And then there was the people that were more sympathetic, you know, and I, I saw it firsthand. Now, the problem with it was that Alex and I moved into a one bedroom apartment. So although it was a nice apartment, it was relatively small and we shared a bedroom. Now, the bedroom had, you know, it was a nice place. The kitchen was separated, living room. The bedroom had French doors that separated it off, but we shared a bedroom. So it wasn't the most ideal thing for like, you know, I had, I was, my girl, my longtime girlfriend and I had broken up. So I was dating a lot at that exact point in my life. I was dating a lot. Like I was, that was the point in my life where I, prior to meeting Helene, where I was seeing like a girl, like every month, like that was my dating period. Your Jerry Seinfeld like, moment. Very, very Seinfeld-esque. That apartment actually looked like Seinfeld's apartment a little bit too, which is actually kind of ironic. And that's the place where we almost got evicted from. So Colin will remember it. And the whole thing with Alex was tricky because he elicited sympathy, but at the same time, he would like hit on everybody's girlfriends. Like his social prowess was definitely lacking. Like he just didn't know how to act. He was strange. When he got around girls, he would act like a like he would act like a kid, like he would act like an infant, like he did, and then he would hit on people. A lot of times, he was drunk and high, so like he was kind of acting out of body anyway. And the whole Alex experience became really frustrating for me because people it it started to be like I was torn between being sympathetic and you know for being empathetic for his situation in knowing a lot of what other people didn't know and also just having to live with it 24 hours a day. It was tough sometimes. And he treated me a little like a big brother and he leaned on me a little hard, which I wasn't really ready for. Like I didn't really want to have somebody under my wing. Like I felt like a baby myself, you know, like I don't want to fucking deal with this guy, you know, type yeah. of thing. Yeah. At the same time, trying to be kind, which was hard. And then I would have friends being like, what the fuck are you living with this guy for? You could live at nerd house. You could, which eventually I did move into, or you could live with some, you could have your choice of people while you're living with this guy. And it did end up sort of culminating with me moving out. But the whole situation sort of came to a head one night where Alex would go off on his own. Sometimes at night you're in Philly. It's the mid nineties. Philly's still a big city in a lot of ways. Like it's not the safest place in the world, but back then it was, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. You know, especially if you, if you wandered outside of the pocket of center city, West or North, it could be, it could be dangerous. It could be a dangerous place. So 
there would be times when he was gone and he would be off by himself and who knows if he was drinking or if he was smoking too much or whatever, always chain smoking, always on the go. And I didn't know where he was. And he was gone for like two days. And that was odd because he never left. He never went to go home. He might've been from Delaware. Never went to go home or visit his uncle. He was always in town. So turned out that he was skating one night just in, up into North Philly around Temple. Got hit by a cab, by a taxi cab. Now, allegedly, he got hit by the cab, flew up like 20 feet, and landed on the doorstep of, the, of Temple University's ER, which is crazy. Almost completely unscathed. I think he broke a rib. I think, like, but they were, they had him in the hospital like overnight or two because it was such a it was such a bad accident that they they wanted to look him over, run MRIs, CAT scans, whatever they were doing, and nobody contacted me. Like nobody back then, no cell phones. We had you know the the phone in the apartment with the answering machine, and his uncle didn't get in touch, so I didn't find out about any of this. And it turned out he was almost unscathed, which is only Alex could have possibly pulled off that rubber body feet, right? He wasn't a good skateboarder. Like he was just like, he he just skateboarded. He wasn't like, you know, he wasn't sure-footed in any way or anything like that. And that was kind of like, I think that two days, a 48-hour period of like just worrying about this guy and like the whole situation coming to a head, I was like, I got to get out of here. But also, at the same time, almost the same time, that whole incident happened with what you you weren't really involved in this or to blame, but you, PJ, my friends from Boston, <laughs> my friends from Long Island, throwing hamburgers down at the people from the rooftop <laughs> deck of my apartment <laughs> and getting served the eviction notice. Right, that, that was not, that was. And Alex, who wasn't even there, got sort of involved in the whole thing unfairly to him and was going to be evicted too. Now I talked myself out of it with the real estate agent because his office was actually under the building. But Alex was almost evicted over something that we were doing that I was largely involved in personally too. So all of his sins were sort of atoned for, you know, when that happened and I felt, and he, you know, quite frankly, he had, I don't remember what the rent was back then. Let's say it was $700 a month or something. You know, it was the mid nineties. In Philly, it was outside of Center City, so it was a little cheaper. And he was able to take on, because of his uncle, he was able to take on the rent by himself. So I went to move with my friend Ducky, who is a whole nother story unto himself. And I'll close with Ducky. So Ducky was a guy, another really interesting character in my life. If I saw, I haven't seen Ducky or talked to him in a long time, but if I saw him, I get the sense if I saw him tomorrow, I would still like really care for him. Like there would be no love lost. Although things that happened between me and Ducky were pretty, pretty contentious. He was an interesting guy because he was from Long Island. He was from all the way out West on Long Island from Valley Stream. But he was, he was one of those dudes where he was definitely older than me, but I have no idea how old he was. (laughs) But if I put two and two together, here's what I could tell you about Ducky. He already coming into art school. And moving from New York to Philadelphia to attend school, he went to school for industrial design. He already had a career as an EMT, like driving the ambulance in Queens or Harlem. I forget where he was for a long time. So if I was 20, it's not fiction 
to ascertain that Ducky could have been a full 10 years older than me. Like when he started college, he could have been 30, which I got to tell you for that period of that school, very trade school like in its nature, that was not an uncommon thing. I went to school with a lot of people that were like, this guy looks like my dad. You know what I mean? So, and a lot of kids that were like 17, you know, that were like young high school graduates. So he was one of those dudes and he was such an interesting guy. He was very different than me. Like he was really seemed like the older kids on the block that I grew up with that I was fascinated with. Like he was into like things that were completely off my radar. Like he was really into like Frank Zappa music. Like I had no clue about Frank Zappa. He was really, he was a drummer. He was in a band. He was like kind of a cross between like what you would expect. Like, I don't want to stereotype, but like we talk about this on the show sometimes, like a typical like volunteer firefighter and a punk rocker. He was like a weird hybrid mashup of those two things and heavy metal. And he loved, he was like the gamer. Like he, his whole thing was like Star Trek and gaming. Like, he was the most avid video gamer I ever met up to that point. Like he was like that's day why I remember one, about him too. Yeah, N sixty four day one Sega Saturn day one Saturn. I was gonna say was I remember PJ and him and and PJ were the way well the Cotchers him mm. Ducky and PJ were the, the my roots in as a kid to Sega the, to you know, Sega Master System and Master System with the Cotchers Genesis and Dreamcast with PJ and Saturn, I really associate with Ducky because that was the first time I had ever played it. Remember? Oh, really? Yeah, it was like, uh, I remember he had Panzer Dragoon Saga. And I was yes. Like, I was like, oh my God, like what is this? Because you, you just read about it and- <laughs> Remember that? You know, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do. That's he, what I, that's he, what I he, was, he was, he was really, that was his whole, that was his whole bread and butter. Like he really had a passion for gaming and he was like one of those dudes, I think his mom had money, like- even though he was older, certainly like 10 years older than Alex, like his mom was kind of fueling his education as far as I know, which is great. More power to him, whatever. He didn't work. And the funny thing about Ducky, and he wouldn't mind me saying this, he would laugh. Like he probably went to school 20 to 30% of the time. Like he just didn't go to class. We, we found, I knew him for a long time, like two years leading up to living with him. We found a really cool apartment on Cater Street. And the cool thing about it was this was the first time I had my own bedroom. It was a two bedroom house. It was a row home. It wasn't just an apartment. It was a whole house, basement and two floors, little backyard. First time I had my own bedroom and, you know, detached kitchen, dining room, living room was my first time I ever lived in a house really outside of growing up on Long Island. Although it was, you know, just South of South street, very urban environment, obviously very family styled block. Um, there weren't too many students. So I, I loved it. I really enjoyed living with him. And the cool thing was he was he he dated this girl who we nicknamed Fammy for a long time. They even might have gotten married. I don't even remember. She was really sweet. And kind of the cool thing about living with Ducky was like, he was like a big brother to me. Like he was very protective of me. He wouldn't let me walk by myself. Like he would come meet me at work sometimes when I was leaving late, like when I was waiting tables, because I'd have a lot of tips. Like he was always there and he was always available because he really didn't do much. You know, he was just really involved in his gaming, watching things, went to school sometimes, you know, type of thing. It was like, how is this guy still in school? He was a pothead too, right? Super, super yeah. pothead. Like wake, wake and bake, you know, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, every minute in between. Like he smoked a lot. 
he was he was like all about it and he would cook you know he would take care of the place like it was comforting having him around and he was also a character you know he would make you laugh and he was a tough dude he was a big dude he was a big burly guy and he would do this thing if i really asked him he he had like a chip on his shoulder ducky very italian and not moving fat smoked a lot of cigarettes and not moving he reminds you a lot of a shorter version of andrew dice clay if that makes sense a lot of machismo, a lot of machismo, oh, like a lot of machismo. Wore the Italian on his shoulder, on on his, on you know, wore his heart on his sleeve. Yeah, that type of thing, and moved at a snail's pace. Like he wasn't moving fast for anybody. But if I asked him to do this thing, which he called fists of fury, he would do this thing where he would do this fighting thing where he just did this flurry of punches. And it was the only time I ever saw him move fast. So it was always really funny to me. It was almost like Chris Farley fast. And he wore this giant wallet chain that would jingle around when he did it. So I'd be like, Ducky, do Fist of Fury. He'd be like, I'll do it later, whatever, blah, blah. And then eventually he would just do it for me or whatever when he got drunk. <laughs> so funny. But the thing was that one day, and this was a really random thing. I'll never forget this as long as I thought it was one of the worst things that ever happened to me, actually. I got, it was centered around a video game, of course, right? A, a beloved video game, ironically, of, of me and Collins called Wild Arms for the PlayStation, right? Wild Arms came out. I think a lot of the times he went to go buy the things because he had more money than me. But for some reason, I got Wild Arms. And then we would share. Like We would say, all right, we played Final Fantasy together. I think he might have bought that initially. Or Final Fantasy uh, Tactics. like All the things we were playing. Symphony of the Night. Whatever we were playing up to that point. A lot of times he would buy it and I would get to play it which was cool. Worked out for me. A young student didn't have a lot of money. I was really excited about Wild Arms for whatever reason. So I bought it and I didn't want him to play it first. So I bought it and I hid it in my bedroom closet and I went to work that night, I remember. And I was working at Urban Outfitters at the time on 18th of Walnut. And nobody, they were really strict about that place, even though this is a retail job. Like Helene never called me at work. I, no one ever called you at work. That wasn't a thing. That was a big no-no. Like I never heard from family at work. Never. I never got a personal phone call at work. I'm there for an hour or two, my shift, phone rings. It's Ducky. Oh, Dagan, men's department, pick up, you know, line, whatever. Pick up the phone. Yo. I'm like, yo, what's up? Like, he's like, where's Wild Arms? And I'm like, dude, just like wait for me to get home or whatever, blah, blah. And I told him that I had it with me in my bag in the break room. <laughs> sure enough, Ducky goes in my bedroom and finds it in the closet. And he calls me back and he's like, yo. And it was kind of my bad actually, because Ducky was really generous to me. You know, not, not only that, but being, a, you know, being like very big brotherly in a lot of ways and stuff like that. It was kind of a dick move, but I was like, oh, great. Like, and he hung up, he hung up the phone on me during that second call. And I was like, oh, fuck, he's pissed, like, type of thing. And it was almost like feeling like a big brother or an older cousin type of thing. It's like, oh, shit, I'm going to get an earful when I get home. So I get home that night. I think he's already in bed or he's in the bedroom with his girlfriend or he's smoking weed or whatever. He's already winding down. So I didn't hear from him. Well, the next day might have been a Saturday or something, sitting downstairs. <laughs> playing i don't even know if i was playing wild arms i was playing final fantasy 7 i don't remember I, I i was on one of our chairs in our living room playing the playstation and helene sitting with me on the couch 
and he comes he comes downstairs and he's doing his slow like ducky walk he's probably got a cigarette in his mouth dangling from his lips right and i'm like oh shit you know like here it is and i'm like yo what's up duck what's going on blah blah trying to like cool the situation i don't even know what the tone of the room is yet dude he just he doesn't say a word he just comes downstairs and he fucking grabs me by my throat and he pins me up against the back of the chair and he has his fucking fist like cocked back and i could see like right away i'm laughing like thinking all right you're fuck like you're fucking with me you're doing like the head under the armpit noogie thing like you always do like type of thing to me like you're but i could see on his face like it was like a one second read that he wasn't fucking around and i was scared shitless i was like holy shit well who the fuck jumps up from the couch and jumps on ducky's back with her arms around her his neck helene she's got she literally gets off the couch before i even think to say anything like like that the moment happens so quickly she jumps up jumps on his back She's in the, she's on his back with her feet off the ground and she's got one arm around his neck and one hand on his cock back fist. And she's yelling at the top of her lungs. And she's like, get off of him. You get the fuck off of him. But like, it was crazy because I knew you like Helene and I were already dating for a couple of years at that point. But that's when I found out how courageous Helene was. Like she was ready to fight. Helene's all of like a buck 10. Like, mind you, right? She's tiny. She's a petite girl. Yeah, smoking white, I would say. And Ducky's like this 220-pound hulking squat, the thing-like dude. He wasn't fat. He was just a big guy. And I think, you know, I don't know what Ducky's plans were to follow through, but I kind of stick to the script that Helene might have saved me from getting my fucking ass kicked that day. And when... Ducky sort of relented or thought better of it and got up. I was so angry that I grabbed my skateboard, which was right by the front door and swung it at his head. Like I held, I held it by like the nose and swung the board like back. So the back truck was coming at him and he got out of the way and it went through the wall. It went through the sheetrock. Like I, I wasn't swinging to send a message. Like I was going to hit him. Like I was so angry and i think also embarrassed like i was about to get the shit kicked out of me in front of my girlfriend right there was nothing i could do like he had me pinned by one arm i couldn't move you know tiny tiny dude i probably weighed like 140 pounds soaking wet at that point right and it almost got bad because this is the thing that where the story sort of culminates is that my friend brian who i've talked about and my friend Jeff, who was in town, Jeff I knew from Long Island, but Jeff was going to BU at the time. He was just finishing up at BU up in Boston. He was in town because the next day we were leaving for a road trip. Me, Brian, Jeff, and his friend from Boston were leaving for a road trip, a 10-day road trip down south to Atlanta so to skate. So Jeff was in town. And Jeff was my friend that I knew that skated that was like not to be fucked with. Like he was like a fourth degree black belt. He never told anybody that super smart dude, like an engineering dude. Like, you know, his dad was a nuclear physicist. He ended up going to Carnegie Mellon on a full ride for his master's. Like, you know, he's a tech startup Silicon Valley dude, but super like a heavy as far as like fighting and shit like that. And Jeff, you know, I was upset. So I went down to nerd house, you know, which was a couple of blocks away 
And I told him what happened. And Jeff's like, that's it. Like Ducky's fucking finished. And Jeff came up to fight with Ducky. And thank God something happened in the interim where those two didn't really even know each other, but those two never got into a, a confrontation because I don't even know how that would have went. Like I would, I don't even know who would have won that fight, like but I can't even imagine like what would have happened if Maybe that fight actually went down. Yeah, You know what I mean? Cause me and Ducky were able to get past that. You know what I mean? It was like, all right, I realized like I was being a complete dick. You're very good to me, but you also overreacted. But I also went to swing a skateboard at your head and you thank God for fast enough to move out of the way. Like it was probably the most, I mean, honestly, it was probably the most contentious thing that's ever happened between me and a friend and the biggest incident that we had to traverse in order, in order to carry on the friendship. You know what I mean? So like there was a, something like that happens. There's no telling where that friendship is going to go. Is the friendship going to be cut asunder at that point? Or is the French friendship strong enough to sort of, you know, persevere and get to the next level and get past that? And it did get past that, but it was still like, it's such an indelible memory for me because it was upsetting. You know, and I remember being upset, like leaving for the road trip the next day or two days later to go down South. It was such a fun trip, you know, in Jeff's old Honda Accord, like barely knowing if that thing is going to make it to DC, let alone all the way down to Atlanta, you know, really great memories. But I remember the first two or three days of that trip being like tarnished by that like sure. still having that lingering feeling of just being upset by like everything that just happened but you know what's funny about that though it also taught me a thing about you gotta like you know how stupid was that like i was just upset that he was gonna play it first like yeah no i had to move past that yeah. yeah you know what i mean i had to move past that sort of like i don't know like th that nature of like you know what i mean it's not just about yeah, okay, you don't like having roommates. And when you moved to Connecticut for your first job, you really enjoyed having that one-bedroom apartment to yourself and you didn't have to deal with any duckies or Alex's or Gray's or anything like that. But I also had to change. You know what I mean? I was also being a little bitch. Sure. Sure. You know what I mean? There were some things I had to I had to get past as far as my personality too, where it's like you're a little bit persnickety with your shit. Like, you know, you you, you could share a little better. You're kind of acting like an impetuous three-year-old. So I think that's what allowed me to get past the thing with Ducky, even though he was like clearly out of line and like physically assaulting one of his best friends. Thank God, you know, I didn't get my face mashed in. But that was such a crazy, and I would go on to write like when I was writing for Pat Contry's Nintendo, uh, not the Super Nintendo guidebook, the first one I worked on, the NES guidebook. I put a little blurb, like one of my reflections for a Star Trek game. No, it was the SNES guidebook. One of my reflections for one of the Star Trek games was like a thing about Ducky. I didn't name him by name, but um, you know, I, I would love this one of those dudes Get that I fell out of touch with that I would yeah. love to still see because we have that rich history, even though it wasn't all good. You know, some of it was sort of uh, shitty. You should find but it him. would still be nice find to him. see him and sort of like, you know, I'm sure it would be like not a day has passed. If we got together again, it would just be like old times, that type of thing, you know? Well, that was fun. I mean, it's a, it's a nice little run through history and old, old faces and names. And a lot of these people come up in different stories too. So you can learn more about them later. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, do you have, is it, do you have that old friend where you, well, what about, was it Rico and Bill? Yeah. 
Yeah. Are you in touch with those two guys? No, I haven't talked to them probably in 10 years, I would say. Okay. And I saw that guy. I was talking about Martin, one of the gay guys I lived with. I randomly saw him at a bar in San Francisco, like five years after he moved, you know, after I moved out of that place and he was just sitting like it. I used to go to this place underdogs, which I really love. I'm sure it's still there on 19th and um, what is it? 19th and Irving. And it's a, it's a burrito shop and taco shop and bar. So it's like a bar and like a few tables. And then you sit there and you drink and you eat burritos. And then at the back, there are these picnic tables and it's just family stuff. Like, not family style, but you sit there. So there could be like four people there and then two people there and then four people there or whatever. That sounds so, cool. That's and a good so setup. I was sitting there with just someone eating as people do in that place. And then I look next to me and this guy's sitting down. And it's fucking Martine, you know? So it's, it's just, it was a, it, that was an interesting thing, but I haven't, I haven't heard from those guys in a while. And that's more on me than them. I kind of like my Irish goodbyes in a lot of way, in a lot of ways. Like there are, no, I like, don't need to talk to a lot of these people anymore. It's nothing to do with them. They're great. Mostly all great people I've encountered, but I don't have enough time to even think about being a social butterfly to the extent where it's like, I'm going to talk to these guys I used to live with, you know, in 2007. Yeah, I hear that. There's something with being left with that mystique too, of just leaving those precious warm memories, those fond memories you have of somebody. And because if you see that person again, you may think, all right, like I've had enough. Or maybe, maybe you don't strike it off as well as you did 15 years prior or something, you know, like it's almost like that whole similar to that whole, like, don't meet your heroes thing where it's like, might as well leave it, leave well enough alone, take those fond memories with you. Those were great. You know, the the past that you shared together was cool, but why try to like rekindle a magic that was, you know, pertaining to a certain era? You know what I mean? A certain, a certain you, a younger you, a younger them. Right. A, a certain you. That's exactly, that's exactly what it is. You it's know? easy to go back and look and say, because I, I, it's like that whole thing about cringing, like the things you never forget that you did or said. It's like kind of just got to move on. Absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, but yeah. It, these were good stories to, to tell. I'm glad we did this topic. And uh, again, a lot of these people you hear about in different ways throughout the show. So we hope that adds a little bit of texture for it. But Dave, let's end as we always do with knockback with a dad joke. All right, my friend. Kyle, why do bees have sticky hair? I don't know. Because they use a honeycomb. A honeycomb. Honeycomb big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't They're like not I small. No, no, no. What is that? Honeycomb's got a big, big crunch. I don't know. Is that how it goes? I have no idea what you're saying. What you don't that? know the Honeycomb's commercial? Like the, the cereal Honeycomb's commercial? I th- yeah, I think that might have been no. when they started using that monster. That like CG monster Oh, yeah. Monster I don't dude. know. That's like way... That's like... I wasn't a told when that know. happened, isn't it? Isn't it I happen? don't know. I could be doing a whole different one. I could be doing a 70s one. I'm old. Well, you have you have that's true too. But I was saying you have kids too, so it's like you're exposed to a lot of this. Like I, I like once in a blue moon, if I have Nickelodeon on or something or whatever it is, and like there's yeah commercials playing. Like, what the? F-? It's like another world. I'm like, what is all of? This? I have no idea what you're talking. Yeah, you've been about. away from that for a long time. That's why when I go to Target on a rare, I don't really go to stores, but when I go to Target or whatever, I always go through the toy aisle because I just want to see. Usually they're cleared out. There's nothing there. Oh, they're but the I love. I don't that. know what's going on with that, but I just like seeing like what's. Like, what are kids playing with? And Yeah. You know, what's going on in the toy world? Yeah, exactly. So 
All right, Dave. Well, thank you for your time. And thank you all out thank there for you. your love, kindness, and support of all things knockback and last damn media. Remember, you can support us on uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash last damn media, early ad free access to this show, as well as sacred symbols and our Xbox podcast, Defining Duke and Sacred Symbols Plus and Defining Duke Ultimate. Submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas. We didn't really do it for this episode, but we typically do for the more topical episodes. So keep an eye out for those threads. And uh, that's basically it. So we'll see you next time for more knockback. Until then, thank you again. Goodbye. Share your games. That's the last. <laughs> Share your games. Don't be greedy. Knockback, a retro and nostalgia podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Central Virginia and the Philadelphia suburbs, USA. The show was conceived by and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Dagan Moriarty. Knockback's executive producer is Dustin Furman, and the show is edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand Media's shows, including Knockback, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer support level or higher on Patreon, and we're grateful for your kindness and generosity. Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel D'Amour, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Tom Quinn, Henry Groth, Joshua, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, Jordan Mittman, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Graham Plays, Christian Rodriguez, Jad Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Roberto, Josh Hallen, Rui, Tyler Watkins, Troilus True, Dan Root, Isabella Hope, Top G82, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Halsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, Jim Bob, 56, William Holbert, Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Trons, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Manuel Ochoa, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Silvinsky, Galja of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Keegs, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Anti Kinnanen, Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ali Fritz, Evan Dalton, Zach Allen, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, D.B. Cooper, Cody Bradbury, Tom Cargill, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Holfeldian, Ian Bravo, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Mark Liberto, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Jay, Organic Produce, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Brody Rainey, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lewin Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, Betty Ann Moriarty, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K, Brian W. Rath, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kinsler III, Will Caldwell, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Phil Crone, Throw Seven, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, David David Mann, Petro Rhodes, Lockmort, Gio Corsi, Joey Gondhaliker, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David Iacolucci, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Codero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Carper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming.